God, thank you that as we continue to worship you, we do praise you and bless you. And thank you for bringing joy to this world through Jesus, our Savior. Lord, we lift up the name of Jesus this morning and we thank you, yes, for the Christmas season where our thoughts and attitudes can be turned to just glorifying you and lifting you up and thanking you for that blessed gift that you've given us. And as we continue to worship you today through your word, I pray, God, that we'll let your word penetrate our heart, that we'll take our minds and turn our minds toward giving glory to you and receiving from you that which you offer us through your word today. God, change our lives through the Christmas story as we continue to celebrate you and worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to open up your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 1 as we continue with our Christmas story today. Next Sunday, uh, we'll come back together in this room and we'll celebrate Christmas uh, for people in many parts of the world today. Uh, Christmas is one of the most exciting seasons of the year. And I trust that that's true for you as well. I trust that the, the true meaning of Christmas, the true significance of Christmas will capture your mind and capture your heart. Today we want to look at a snapshot of the backstory of Christmas. What happened on Christmas Day would not have been possible had what happened in this part of Matthew's account not happened. Uh, Christmas reminds us that God's ways are not always our ways. Uh, some things in life, I think you'll agree with me, are just too good to be true. Some things in life are just too impossible to believe. Living in the Old Testament times that Joseph of Nazareth lived in, uh, he found himself in a real dilemma. Uh, God's angel came to him and brought him news that the young woman he was going to marry was pregnant, but not to freak out. Because the child that she was going to bear was going to be the Son of God, the child of God. But even with that information, Joseph found himself in a real dilemma. Uh, two voices thundered inside of his head, I'm sure. One was the voice of doubt. You know, can I really believe what this angel has told me. Can I really believe what God is telling me? The other voice that was thundering in his head was the voice of faith. So he had a dilemma. He had to decide whether he was going to believe the voice of doubt on one hand or the voice of faith on the other hand. One voice was not compatible with the other voice. He had to choose which voice he was going to listen to. This morning, as we unpack this part of the Christmas story, you're going to find yourself, maybe, in a dilemma also. You're going to be challenged with whether you're going to believe the voice of doubt or whether you're going to believe the voice of faith. And I trust today that you will claim God's glorious faith, which is what brought Joseph to the point of accepting God's vision for his life, I trust that will be the same decision that you make because this faith in God that was a glorious faith that Joseph displayed paved the way for you and me to celebrate Christmas today. And I don't know about you, but I want that same kind of attitude in my life as well. Glorious means that which stands out, that which shines. Uh, many of you are probably engaged in some kind of the sports world. And when a sports figure just outshines the opponent, he becomes a glorious figure, right? Or she becomes a glorious figure. Uh, we understand what glorious means. 
Faith is where you put your trust. It may not be in something you see or something that you touch or feel, but it's the foundation of decisions that you make and actions that you take. And so glorious faith is like an anchor that you can stake your life in even when life gets tough. Nothing is going to shake that glorious faith that your life is anchored in. Glorious faith is believing God unconditionally. Glorious faith is crediting God with overcoming the challenges and giving you victories in life over the tough times, the tough seasons, the tough decisions that you have to make in life. So glorious faith does four things for us. And I want us to look at these four things just briefly this morning and apply them directly to our lives. First of all, glorious faith defies reason. This was true with Joseph and in his life. Look at verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, if anything ever defied reason, that defies reason. How in the world could this be? See, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. And in the first century, two families would agree to a marriage union between their son and their daughter. They would negotiate a betrothal, including a price to be paid to the bride's father. And then a public announcement would be made. And at this point, the marriage was binding. It could only be broken by death or divorce. I remember one time, this bride called me just one day before the wedding rehearsal. And she said, we forgot to ask you during all the pre-marriage counseling, we forgot to ask you how much we need to pay you. And I said, well, how much does he think you're worth? <laughs> the phone line went dead at that point. I couldn't help it, but I started laughing. And I said, you know, you don't owe me anything. I mean, whatever, whatever you want to give me, that's fine with me. But in this culture... There was a betrothal that was paid to the bride's father. And once that betrothal was established, once that payment was made, the marriage was sealed. And then for a year, the bride would continue to live with her family and the groom would continue to live with his family. And in that 12 months, in that year, if the young woman was found to be pregnant, everything was, could be called off. The wedding could be annulled. The marriage could be annulled. And so you see the dilemma that Matthew found himself, uh, that Joseph found himself. Matthew's gospel account is clear that Joseph and Mary were above reproach, but they still had to face the criticism of the society around them. Mary, Mary was most at risk because the price that was paid for having sexual relations outside of marriage for the young woman was death. So she was making a strong statement. In Luke's account, Mary was not even hesitant, though, about believing God. In her glorious faith, she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In essence... Mary was literally saying, my faith in God is bigger than my life. Now friends, that's a glorious faith. She staked her life in God's promise, in God's word. And I trust and pray today that each one of us have come to that same conclusion in our life. That nothing is bigger in our life than our glorious faith in God. Now, this glorious faith was not normal. It was a once-in-history type special event. 
Joseph and Mary were put in a tough position in verse 18 of chapter 1 again. It says, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And so, in, in the Holy Spirit's activity, Mary became the mother of the Christ child. And this was beyond reason. This was beyond logic. The Holy Spirit breathed life, the life of the Son of God, into Mary's womb. Ponder this this week. How could something like this apply to you and me today? Well, here's the deal. The Holy Spirit, and only the Holy Spirit, can breathe spiritual life into you. The Bible tells us that you and I are dead in our trespasses and sin. Our sin separates us from God. Our relationship with God is broken. It's breached because of our sin. And only the Holy Spirit can breathe new life into us in order to draw us into a renewed relationship with God. That happens when we receive God's glorious faith in Jesus as our salvation. And that's what Christmas is really all about. It's about God bringing light into darkness. It's about God bringing the remedy of sin into a world of sin. So God called Mary to do something magnificent with her life. She was obedient. Joseph was obedient. And I trust that you and I want God to do something magnificent with our life as well. Because that same Holy Spirit that breathed life into Mary's womb, that life that would become the Son of God, that same Holy Spirit wants to breathe spiritual life in you today that will bring about from your life something just as magnificent as what occurred to Mary. When you allow God's Spirit to breathe spiritual life into you by accepting His gift of salvation through Jesus. God wants to take your life and reveal to the world how he can change your life just like he used Mary's life to change our whole world. God has special callings. He had a special calling for Mary and Joseph. But his special calling for your life and my life is no less significant than what he chose to call Mary and Joseph to do. Some callings in life are specific, like, you know, Joseph and Mary had a specific calling to bring Jesus into the world and to raise Jesus. Some people have a specific calling of God to, after knowing him and following him and loving him, to be a pastor or a teacher or a missionary. What we call maybe a special kind of service. But then there are kind of universal callings that God has for all of our life. And they're no less significant. Every single one of us, after trusting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, can become a special agent for God. Can become one who significantly impacts the lives of others by just living consistently in a walk with the Lord and sharing Jesus with people in our world. Some other kinds of things that all of us are called uniformly into are things like uh, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. In other words, Jesus calls us to know Him and then to be His disciple and then to make disciples of somebody else. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with letting the magnificence of God use us to impact the lives of other people? The voice of doubt makes excuses for investing and making disciples. The voice of truth and the voice of faith says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be unto me according to your word. 
God gives every believer, once you trust Jesus as a personal Savior, God gives every believer a spiritual gift. How are you doing in using that spiritual gift to build God's church, to be a faithful member of God's church, and also build life into God's kingdom? The voice of doubt would say, I don't have a spiritual gift. I'm not worthy to carry a spiritual gift for God. I can't change the world around me. I don't have time to invest in building my life in such a way that I can use my spiritual gift to build up the church or impact the kingdom around me. And on the other hand, the voice of faith says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This church... You need to know, many of you probably do know, this church is a giving and ascending church. Uh, last week, this church saw 26 students at Socrates Elementary School have an extravagant Christmas experience possible, made possible, because of your generosity. There are Scores of other examples about how members of this church have invested in helping people not only have a great Christmas experience, but also carry with that a message of the gospel, a message of hope. We have missionaries from this church around the world, literally, who are sharing the good news. This church has done a great job in giving and in sending. But I want to ask you today, how are you doing? How are you doing with faithfully obeying God and giving the first portion of your income to be used by God for the continuing ministry of this church to impact this community and impact our world? How are you doing with that? The voice of doubt says, does it make sense for me to give the first 10% of my wealth to God's church? For spreading the gospel at home and around the world. How can I afford to trust God to care for my needs? I have bills I have to pay. The voice of doubt says, does this church really need my money more than I need it? When on the other hand, the voice of faith says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. See how Mary set this gigantic example of glorious faith for us to follow? The voice of doubt or the voice of faith? Glorious faith defies reason. And then there's one other fact involved to Mary and Joseph's dilemma. See, the birth of Jesus was literally a virgin birth. Why does it matter that the virgin birth of Jesus was so important? Well, Jesus Christ is God's son. Uh, a human father would have passed down generational sin into Jesus. And so the father of Jesus was divine. From God, the Holy Spirit. Jesus was God's Son. And because Jesus was born of a woman, not only was He 100% divine, but He was also 100% human. Because He came through Mary, He was born into a world of sin, but because He was divine, He had no trace of human sin. And that alone, because Jesus was divinely conceived, brought forth of a woman, lived a perfect life, a sinless life. So he would qualify to be the sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sin and my sin and the sin of the whole world. 100% divine, 100% human. Does that not defy reason? <laughs> 
But God's glorious faith defies reason. See, the infinite, unlimited God took on human flesh and the limitations of humanity so He could live and sacrifice His perfect life for the salvation of all who would put our faith and trust in Him. Have you done that? Have you trusted His glorious faith in coming into this world and living a perfect life and dying a sacrificial death and being raised to overcome victory over death? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? In Hebrews chapter 4, the Bible tells us that Jesus, being 100% human, fully understands our experiences and struggles. And because He is God, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, tells us that He has the power and authority to deliver us from sin. See, Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows every temptation that you have. He knows every uh, sin that knocks on your door because He's experienced every temptation that you and I have. And yet the Bible says it's without sin. Why is that important? Well, last week a young pastor came and sat down with me, called me and said, I need to talk. I think you can help me. He was struggling desperately because a church that he had been serving for 14 years, the leaders of that church asked him to resign. In his mind, he had done nothing wrong. In his mind, the church was moving up and to the right and growing. But because of a disagreement between the leaders of the church and, and him, they asked him to resign. I could identify with where he's, he is because I've been there. Uh, I could associate with every feeling that he had, every pain that he had, every emotion that he had. And the resentment that he had and the anger that he had was all a part of my experience as well. Now multiply that by a million. And you see that because Jesus was fully human, he entered into a fleshly experience where he was able to overcome every temptation that you will ever face. Now, does that not defy reason? That he could do that? Of course it does. But our faith is a glorious faith. And so today I want to challenge you because Jesus understands our thoughts and feelings and needs. I want to challenge you to put your trust and faith in him. Put your trust and faith in the glorious faith that he has and that he has displayed and that he calls you to because glorious faith defies all reason. On and on I could go, but let's move on. Secondly, there's a, a glorious faith that defies culture. Glorious faith defies culture. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. says, Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now the fact that Matthew refers to, to Mary as Joseph's husband is a cultural thing. In our culture, when you're engaged, you're really, you know, not call somebody's husband or somebody's wife when you're just engaged. But betrothal was a little bit more than that. In different parts of the world, you know that we have different customs, different cultural customs. Culture is defined as the customs, arts, social institutions, and achievements of a particular nation, people, or other social group. So culture simply reflects the lifestyle patterns of a particular group of people. For example, here in the United States, we have customs that reflect the patterns that we adapt as acceptable, as normal. In the first century Jewish culture, Joseph was viewed as Mary's husband. Joseph was a just man. And to find that Mary was 
pregnant before their marriage was consummated put Joseph in a dilemma. He had to make a decision. He had to choose between the fear of cultural humiliation and faith in God. Where was he going to put his trust? Where was he going to put his belief? Where was he going to put his faith? Matthew points out that fear would have led Joseph to maybe put Mary to shame or even divorce her. But either of these options would have been bowing to the pressure of fear, the pressure of the habits of his culture. Culturally, again, to marry a pregnant woman would have threatened Joseph's reputation. I mean, he was a businessman. He was a carpenter. He needed customers to come and allow him to do business with. And this could have reflected negatively on his income, on his influence in the, in the community. So culturally, he had another choice. He could have, as Matthew points out, he could have chosen a quiet divorce. He pondered that. He could have found two witnesses. That's all he had to do was find two witnesses and then dismiss Mary quietly and gone on with his life. This way he could have kept his reputation and still showed that compassionate side that he had. Joseph felt he had two options, but guess what? Anytime we feel like we only have a certain number of options, we need to follow the pattern of Joseph and realize that God might have a different option. And that was true in his case. See, God often shows us that we have more options than we think. And often God's options are not socially or politically or culturally correct according to the standards of this world. So how do we make major decisions? How do we make major decisions that are going to put us on the side of trusting God rather than bowing to the customs of our world? Well, before making any major decision, I want to make sure I learn the wisdom of God, make sure I know what God is saying, what God is instructing me to do, especially when my decisions are affecting other people. And I would recommend the same to you as well. For example, in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. See, God has a foundation to stand on that's solid, that's secure, as we sang earlier this morning, it's not you know, affected by the wave of the world, by the ebb and flow of the world. It's solid and consistent. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, the Bible says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. When's the last time you had a major decision to make? And rather than just go through a logical, worldly kind of logical pattern, you fell on your face before God and you asked God to show you in His Word His wisdom in making the decision. Where do we get wisdom from? Well, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's Word is our standard for making decisions. And it takes courage to stand on God's Word when, God, when, when the decision we're making stands against unbiblical lifestyles. God's Word will never let us down. 
And there's an advantage to standing on God's word. See, Joseph had to make a choice. And so do you. So do I. Anytime culture promotes beliefs or activities or lifestyles that are in total contradiction to God's word, the Bible clearly encourages us that we have to make a choice. And I trust and pray that your choice will be like Joseph's. I trust and pray that your choice will be to go with the word of God. The divide between the church and the world, I believe, is just coming, becoming wider and wider and wider. It's always since Genesis 3, there's been a, a wide division. But I think it's growing. I think that division is growing. As I see it, we have three choices. Number one, we can be complacent. Number two, we can be a coward. Or number three, we can be courageous. And we can stand alone on the Word of God. To be complacent or to be a coward is just to ignore the truth of God's Word or even to ignore the issue. It's like seeing a crime committed and just turning and walking the other way. Thirty years ago, there was a famous college football player named Phil Dawson who was named to Playboy Magazine's All-American team. Now, the epitome in sports is to be named an All-American. To Dawson's credit, he refused the honor. He refused being named All-American and refused to go to Playboy headquarters and spend a week there doing what they do. This took courage for him to take this stand. It took him being willing to reject a huge award from the world. And the basis for him making that decision was his moral standard that was anchored in God's Word. But his courage gave other athletes a godly example to follow, and many, many did. You know, the Bible's filled with... Uh, Young leaders who took a courageous stand. For example, the great-great-grandson of Abraham that's mentioned in the first chapter of Matthew in the lineage. First name mentioned in the lineage. His great-great-grandson, Joseph, was put in a situation where he was tempted by his authority's wife to have a sexual affair with her, and he ran away from that. He stood strong against that temptation. We know that uh, Daniel stood before a king in Babylon, and rather than bow down to the king, which was the order of the culture of the day, in order to worship the king, he had to bow down before the king. He refused to do that, and consequently he was thrown into uh, a den of lions. He was told not to pray, but he continued to pray. And because of his belief and anchoring God's word and in his faith in God, he was thrown into a, a den of lions. Esther defied culture when she risked her life to confront cultural injustice. She went before her husband, which was against the culture, without being invited to. And she, could have, been, she could, could have been executed for that. But she stood against culture. 16-year-old David, 16 years old, maybe 17, stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with a giant of the Philistine army who defied the name of the true and living God. He stood toe-to-toe -to -toe in front of Goliath. And took Goliath down because he was courageous in standing against a ruler who defied the true and living God. And then later on in his life, he made some really bad choices. The prophet Nathan stood before King David and put his life on the line by calling out David's sin of adultery and having Bathsheba's husband 
murdered as well. So glorious faith stands against culture when culture defies the clear voice of God. That's my point. So don't be afraid to stand anchored solidly on God's word when it comes to making choices about whether to go with culture or go with what's clear in God's word. Because standing on the promises of God produces peace. In fact, it's the only thing in this world that will produce peace. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything. Hello? Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, the promise of God, the premise, is to stand firm on God's Word, even against the culture of this world. The promise is that when you do that, you might be rejected by the world, which you probably will. If you choose to stand for Jesus, there are going to be some things that you're going to be rejected of and from but God promises you that he's going to give you his peace when you stand alone on the word of God and by standing with him we find the only way that your heart and your mind can be at true peace in this world peace with God peace with yourself in your own heart so let me ask you Is that your condition today? Are you going along with the flow of culture which is pulling you away from God? Or are you standing firm on God's word and living at peace in your mind and at peace in your heart? There's a third thing that glorious faith does. Glorious faith defies fear. Defies fear. We see that in verse 20. The Bible says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, the angel recognized that Joseph wasn't really who he thought he was. Joseph's father had given him the name Joseph. But when God directed conversation toward Joseph, look who he calls him. He calls him the son of David. This was going back a thousand years in the lineage that we read earlier in the first chapter of the beginning of the first chapter of Matthew. A thousand years had passed since David had lived from this point in Joseph's life. Twenty-five generations had passed. But God recognized the fact that Joseph's true identity was in David the king. This gave Joseph confidence. This gave Joseph assurance that when he went with God, he wasn't going to stand in his own shoes. He was going to stand in the shoes of the sovereignty of God. God gave Joseph an understanding of his true identity. Are you aware that um, you're given a name? My name's Ronnie. At least that's what people call me. I'm not going to tell you what my real name is, but um, my father gave me a name. But when I came to the point in my life when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior, God gave me a new name. The new name he gave me was the Son of God. The name he gave me was the name Jesus. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me And gave himself for me. See, my true name is in Jesus Christ. My life, my true life is in Jesus Christ. And when you 
Trust the gift of salvation that God offers to you through Jesus. He gives you a new name as well. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't even care what you're doing right now. If you trust Jesus today, He gives you a new past, a new present, and a, and a new eternity, a new future. And that past, present, and future is in Jesus Christ. The old person is crucified. The old person is passed away. All things are become new. And so when you live by faith in Jesus, God wants to give you a new past, a new present, and a new future as well. So the angel said to Joseph, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Why could he say that? Because he had given him a new identity. He had given him a new identity to claim in the lineage of David. When he looks at you today and he says, do not fear. The reason he can say that is because he's given you a new identity in Jesus Christ. So what would have caused Joseph to fear? We've talked about some of the cultural reasons, some of the uh, emotional reasons that would have caused him to fear. He was facing a life-altering decision. So he was tempted to be afraid. So God said to him, do not fear. What decisions are you facing today that may be life-altering for you that would cause you to be fearful? Is it death? Is it fearing the loss of someone close to you in your life where you might have to go through the rest of your life without that, that person? Is it the economy? Now, I wonder if I have enough money to pay my bills. I wonder if I have enough money. What's going to happen if this thing really does continue to turn down and so forth? I mean, I don't know what you're tempted to be afraid of in life. But God promises that when your identity is in Christ and when you're walking with Christ, yes, things might be tough. Things might be hard. But that peace of God is going to carry you through all of those situations. So Joseph models for us how to hear the voice of God over the sounds and the cries of this world, over the voice of fear. It's called faith over fear. So glorious faith defies fear. And finally today, we come to the culmination of this paragraph. Fourthly, glorious faith defies doubt. It defies doubt. Uh, verse 21, she will bear a son. Now, when, when the angel told Joseph that Mary was going to bear a son that would be of the Holy Spirit, you think there was any room for doubt in his mind? I bet there was. And obviously his actions show that there was a, a, a moment there where he may have doubted, could this really be true? Is this too good to be true? Or is this too unbelievable to be true? It says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is the strongest statement in Scripture. Every single one of us have one need that's universal. And that is we have the need to overcome that impairment that was placed into our lives by being in the line of Adam. We're all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. We all fall in the same boat. And so consequently, it brings us back to where we started. We all have the same need, and that's to have our sins forgiven. And this verse, Matthew 1.21, tells us, And you will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, which means Lord of salvation. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's the biggest need that the world has today. 
And let's bring it down to you and me. It's the biggest need that you have today. It's to have your sins forgiven. Why is it important to have your sins forgiven? Where your sin separates you from God. How aware of you are you of, of the fact that you're a sinner and your sin separates you from God? I don't know about you, but the sweetest words I can imagine. I have two grandchildren who are between three and four years old. I know what this sounds like. The sweetest words that I can imagine coming from a three-year-old or a 33-year-old or a 93-year-old is, I need help. Will you help me? I would pray that that would be the universal cry of everyone here today and everyone in the world around us. See, Jesus came to save us because we can't save ourselves. We can't save ourselves from sin. We can't save ourselves from the consequences of sin. And no matter how good we are, we can't be good enough to work our way to God because we're not, we're, we're not righteous enough to be perfect. And God is perfect. We can't save ourselves from uh, separation from God, alienation from God. We can't eliminate our sin on our own. Only the Savior of the world, Jesus, can eliminate our sin. And when we put our faith and trust in Him, and when we say, God, I don't understand everything about this, but I understand that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin and I repent of my sin. I want to give all that I know about myself and all the sin in my life to you and allow you to take it away from me and give me in return the gift of salvation. Does that not sound like beautiful words from our God who created us? Jesus didn't come to help people save themselves. He and He alone came to be the Savior. To save us from the power and the penalty of sin. So let me ask you today. I mean, you, you may be very familiar with coming to church. This may be the first time you've ever been in a church. doesn't matter about going to church or coming to church. Have you come to the place in your life where you have admitted that you're a sinner Ask God to forgive you of your sin. Ask God to take what Jesus did by shedding his blood on the cross to pay for the penalty of your sin, his perfect blood. And say, God, I receive that gift of salvation. I receive the Savior of the world into my life, and I want to make all of life about him. If you've never done that before, I pray that you'll do that today. And I pray that going out of here today, you will never doubt who Jesus is. You'll never doubt what Jesus does. You'll never doubt how much Jesus loves you. One of the smartest men in the world came to Jesus one day and recorded in John chapter 3. A Pharisee named Nicodemus came to Jesus and Jesus said to him, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save you and me and the whole world. So today, never doubt the Holy Spirit brought birth to the Christ child so that you could place your faith and trust in Him. Never doubt that you can accept this gift of sacrifice that God offers to you through Jesus. Never doubt the fact that Jesus paid the price for the penalty of every sin that you've ever committed. 
give your life to him today by accepting his glorious gift of salvation, by experiencing what Joseph and Mary experienced, and that's your glorious faith. Two voices are thundering in the heads of people today. One is the voice of doubt, one is the voice of faith. I want to challenge you today to join me and make sure that your Christmas is anchored in glorious faith. Glorious faith is like that anchor that you stake your life in, even when life gets tough. Because Jesus is dependable. Christmas reminds us that God's ways are not your ways. So, in closing today, let me ask you. Will you deny and defy God's word and accept the ways of the world? Or will you deny and defy the ways of the world and accept God's glorious grace? Father, I pray today that as we ponder this story that's so familiar to many of us that the Christ child came into this world to live, to be the Savior of the world. And then continued to live a perfect life and then continued to irrationally, as the King of the world, go to the cross and be crucified to pay the price for the penalty of our sin. God, I pray that we would open up our life to you, open up our arms to you, and receive that glorious grace, that glorious faith that you offer, and let it change our life today. As we continue this morning, I want to encourage you to continue to pray and ask God to show you anything in your life that he's convicted you of today, and then be willing to make a commitment of your life to him in whatever area he's challenging you today. If you have a prayer request and you want to list it on our info card uh, later today, feel free to do that. But right now, just ponder and pray and ask God to guide you into his precious arms that are open wide for you today.